Thank you for joining this episode of Healing Race. In this episode, I share with Andre my epiphany about one of the ways that his mistrust of white people has played into our own relationship and are working together on this Healing Race project. And I connect that epiphany with my grandfather's story and the way he experienced mistrust as a Jewish Holocaust survivor. In his grandfather's story, I see a parallel to the caution that I bring to white relationships. And Todd and I had a particularly touching moment as we discussed the way his grandfather dealt with his mistrust at the end of his life. So let's get to that conversation. Enjoy. You know, one way that it really hit me, Andre, again, recently, um, where I put two and two together, and it's both a feeling of, it's both a mind thing and a heart thing, was the, our, the last part of our last conversation. You know, this thing around, is there, and we have differences of, of, of thought on this, um, is, there, is there this universal psychological, you know, dynamic within a white person of the psychology of ownership or control over the Black human being. And I don't, you know, like I said, I don't deny that that's, that it, that it exists. Um, I don't, I don't happen to know the prevalence of it or the intensity of it within a given individual. Um, but I do believe that it's at the very least in my perspective is minimal in some, if at least minimal, if not just not part of their, their makeup. You know, I don't, what, but, but let me, can I, can I just tie this to a specific experience? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what the, what the impact was for me kind of reflecting on it was you sent me an email or a text as we were starting this project and we were thinking about doing this together and you wanted i can't remember exactly the question but you wanted to essentially have like the the t's crossed the the i's dotted with regard to just a sense of ownership over the project right Mm -hmm. a sense of co-ownership a sense of um, and, you know, at the time I was like, this is, well, I always thought it was reasonable. I still do think it was reasonable. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I got an extra perspective and you can tell me if I'm wrong on this, but I think I got an extra perspective of where that came from. You're right about it. Yeah. It also was like like a sense of urgency and a haste. Like we're about to start it. Like we got to get this figured out before, um, you know, and, and this sense of I'm a white person, right. And you imagine white people having a sense of control over black people and you not wanting to fall into that trap again. And to, which not- is why we needed contracts. Yes. yes. No, you, so to and, me affirm you hundred percent right about what you're saying. So, so, let me just finish. Let me just finish, which is like, when it hit me that when, it, when I put two and two together was like that set of emails and texts or whatever. And nope. this belief about white people and I'm a white person, I was just like, and I don't mean this in any negative way. I think you know that, but I was just like, oh, I'm so just sad that Andre thought I would I would take advantage of yep, it. I sure did. 
I was like, what if this becomes really big and he takes all the money? We need contracts. Never like, you know, and that's what I'm trying to say. I understand understand the caution. Like I understand where that comes from. And, but I also just, there's this, this part of me just being your friend. And I know you at the end, you're like, you're not going to change my mind. And I don't want to, but there is this part of me that wants to plead with you that, that Andre, I would never do that. I would never (laughs) think in that way. Like I, I completely value you in this project to the extent where when you wouldn't, when you would keep saying your project, I would say, you mean our project? And I noticed you would do that. I noticed you would like, we're partners here. I I, I noticed you would do that. Oh my God, I love our project. I want you to own it. I want you to own it. Like, so. You are one, first of all, you are 100% right. That was the motivation behind the text message. Uh, (laughs) Yes. And yes, you are 100% right. Yeah. Yep. That was the exact motivation behind the text message. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, just to explain where I sat with it was I have to be at a place where I cannot just understand but accept that how Andre feels and thinks about this has a justification in a reality. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't think the present reality of us two, mm-hmm. our relationship is that's, but, but that it's a reality in your life, right? Mm-hmm. That you've experienced. And I need to be okay with him being in that place. And in, in, indefinitely, to be mm-hmm. honest, and still love him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, and care about him and, you know, be authentic in myself to say, it's just not my, my reality. I am trying to be as truthful as I can possibly know to be. We're not all knowing, including about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the thing, the parallel experience that I think opened me up to being able to do that was my grandfather. Mm-hmm. You, know, she, you know, I had to live in this world with him being one of my best friends, mm-hmm. you know, in the world. Mm-hmm. with him including my grandmother but I had a lot of these you know these kinds of conversations because my I think felt like my grandmother was more open in this way um you know he was uncomfortable about people who were non-Jewish being in his home and he went through the holocaust like he you know he escaped it early on but then got thrown in um the he went to the Siberian ma- mountains so he escaped into Russia he mm-hmm. got thrown right into jail and went to the Siberian mountains and was, was Torture there. Um, uh, so he has this, and, and his his family, for the most part, was wiped out. Um, so that's his real life experience. Now, I'm going to sit there and imagine being in that experience and not have a true understanding of, of an acceptance of his discomfort <laughs> with having someone who's not Jewish in his home. How could I do that? You know, uh, even if I wanted with all of my heart for him to feel open, because I knew the people who are non-Jewish in my life, I knew that they would be people he would love and trust and enjoy their company. And, you know, but I had to live in that, that kind of dual world of just completely understanding where he's coming from and accepting it um, and accept. So I will. And. And what I will say is he just had like in the latter days of his life, a complete transformation. I mean, I mean, Andre, it was 
one of the most momentous experiences. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can't say that it was all this one moment mm-hmm. because it was over time. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I would always ask, you know, can I bring this friend over? Is it okay? Um, you know, and over time, as you know, we dialogued about all sorts of things about life, the two of us, he's, you know, started to get comfortable and I'd bring someone over and he'd meet them and he'd realize, oh, we can have fun or joke around or have a conversation. You know, there were, there were those little moments. Um, Mm -hmm. but then he, so, you know, he had heart condition. He had, um, he was on and off, you know, he'd have some sort of procedure. He'd have a, have a heart attack and then, you know, he'd be in hospital, he'd be okay. And then, you know, he'd come back and, so the last time he went through that experience um, and he was in the hospital for a while, he came home and I went to go visit him and I could just tell this was like the last, this was the last time this was going to happen. Yeah. Um, he, he was like so tired. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, we hold our emotions in our body, mm-hmm. like, you know, like the emotions that we have, like they're hard to deal with. And so we just like tighten them up. We lock them, we lock them in a prison in our body, you know, and that physical tightening helps to make sure that it doesn't come out, you know, mm-hmm. but inevitably it does. And, you know, he was so physically weak, Andre, that like no emotion was going to hide. There was just, he didn't have the physical capacity to keep it down. Mm-hmm. And, I can't remember what question I asked him, but, you know, he was just, again, exhausted in bed from being, you know, having to go through dialysis and think for his kidneys and mm-hmm. just, you know, very exhausting and painful, I think. Um, so he was, he was exhausted. He was in his bed and he just, I could tell he, this was it, you know, uh, he just started crying. I mean, I mean, I had seen him cry before, um, you know, I was, I think maybe one of the only ones to see him cry just because of the kinds of conversations we had. Um, but I mean, like I've never seen, like I've seen him even cry pretty deeply, but I mean, it was just uncontrollable. And he was talking about, you know, I think, you know, he was like a person of deep faith and he was just talking about how he was going to miss this world. Um, that God created the flowers. And I mean, he just started naming everything, you know, and he, and it was just like an amazing moment. And I was just like, Oh my God, like everything's going to come out. So we had dinner that night or the night after it was our last dinner at his, at their house. Um, And he, and I asked him a question. I thought, you know, God, if this is really kind of among the last conversations that I'm going to have, I've asked my grandfather a lot of questions. Like I always try to be complete with the people in my life um, in terms of nothing left unsaid, unasked. Um, and, and so I asked myself, I said, is there anything that I have not yet asked my grandfather that, um, that I want to ask him? And so I asked him, I said, how did you do it? Like, how did you get through that whole time? And like, what? what did you like? And he started telling me like how he escaped. I've heard that story. Like, I don't know. I don't even more than a dozen times. I said, no, I don't mean how you like the logistics of how you did it. I mean, every day, every day, how did you get it together to carry on another day to do what you needed to do to survive? And he talked about, I just used to like, imagine 
my family, my one day family, that life that I was going to have. And then he started going on this, like just this, this rant. And he started talking about um, a little bit about his escape story, but he started doing it in a different way. So mm. he, he told me, so he escaped into Russia from Poland, from the work, the Nazi war camps. And um, he was like disoriented. I mean, I, I think I might've told you that story. I'll tell you another time if I haven't um, that exact escape. It's a pretty amazing story, but he found himself to a farm to like a farmhouse. Um, he couldn't speak the language. He, you know, that person took him to the city and they threw him in jail and I think charged him with like treason or whatever it was. And he told me about how, and this, this part of the story he had never told me before. He said, I, I was thrown in the, in the jail and there was this woman and she was not Jewish. And she put a blanket on me and I was cold and I was tired and I was sick. And, and she put a blanket on me and I just slept for like longer than I've ever slept. And he was trying to say something, you know, he was trying to say this was a non-Jewish person who showed love. Um, and then he, you know, went fast forwarded and he said, you know, when I, when I um, got out of the Siberian work camp, and he told me this part of the story before, he was essentially rescued by a guy who owned a bakery. Um among other things, I think he was just a businessman. And I think he probably got like, he probably got, you know, they made things in the Siberian camp. So he probably went to get things. And somehow over the course of this guy coming over and over, somehow he made a connection to my grandfather. And he lied. And he said, I need this guy. Because I have a bakery, my grandfather had never been in a bakery before. <laughs> he lied. So, so that he could save him. And he said, he, he wasn't Jewish. Um, and he kept saying that. And then and then he said, so my grandfather, my grandmother had a, had a stroke and she had caretakers in the home who, you know, home health aid folks, and none of them were Jewish. Um, and so one of them was there and she was in the room and he said, God loves everybody and was looking right at her. Um, and, you know, it was my grandfather had done his transformation. It was the end of his life you know, better then than never, right? Um, but it was, it was the time that he had to, you know, he had no physical barriers anymore. You know, he, he didn't have the strength to have them. And there's something in the whole collection of his experiences that he started to recognize that, yes, he was persecuted for being a Jew in a heinous way. Um, as, as did his larger population. And it was non-Jews inflicting this, but there was a whole set of experiences of non-Jewish people being brave, showing kindness and love um, in his past, all the way back into that past, all the way into the future, that all of a sudden I feel, feel like compelled this change of heart, literally a change of heart. Um, oh. <laughs> and and I just wish that for all of us you know I just why wait certainly do it better now than never you know but why wait till the deathbed to do that 
to where my grandfather was. I, I, I like, I was so happy it happened. I mean, you know, you can imagine having these conversations over decades with my grandfather and getting to this place of just being blown away by his transformation and like what he looked like, you know, physically, even what he looked like saying those things and being in that place. Um, and there are all these stumbling blocks that we have, you know, different realities, trusting each other in our realities, caring enough to not be so what, who cares? There's so many different pieces that block us from those moments, but like, that's when we're at our best, I think. Um, I can certainly say loving my grandfather and seeing him at many bests, that was his best. That was his absolute best. Um, and I think even he would recognize it given how he, I mean, it was intentional. Like he was being intentional. He knew where he had come to. Um, so, you know, all of that is to say, I mean, it's a long way to say, we just have to be understanding and kind to one another in that way. Like I, I couldn't not understand where my, even if my grandfather never got to that point, I couldn't not understand the things that, that shaped his experience. And that if the best was working with non-Jewish people outside of the home, but not having them in his home, but being willing to be, you know, at least a good person to other people, if that was the best, then that was his best. Um, even if I believed he could have a better best. I'm crying for a few reasons. Um, number one, because the story is moving and I've heard Holocaust stories before, but, I don't believe in our friendship, but I haven't really heard as much of your grandfather's story as you just shared, but also <clears throat> in the common humanity that I, while I did not have your grandfather's experiences, our thinking, I mean, I mean his thinking and my thinking were not, were not dissimilar. Yeah. When, when he didn't, he did not trust people who weren't Jewish. And I've essentially told you, I don't trust people who aren't black. <laughs> no. Like, you're, there, there are definitely some parallels into your, you know, from your grandfather's framework and my framework as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why, yeah, which is why I made that connection to. I, I'm sure that that experience with him has paved and shaped the way that I think about and feel about engaging with this topic and having an understanding that we can't just push each other. We just have to be human to one another, and we can't push each other to face the ways that our past and our reality has shaped us and, and the ways in which it might block love, as you put it, as you've put it before. Um, but we just have to have real relationships and real conversations and let it go where it goes and just have a trust that in being human to one another and giving each other a space to be ourselves and to be authentically ourselves and to go on our own journey. But um, like, we just have to understand and accept. And, um, and I really do, you know, I don't, you know, while I can acknowledge and kind of understand and have an epiphany around why you wanted to have the conversation about, you know, well, how is this thing owned? And what are the, what's, what are the intellectual property rights and, and, and all conversations we have to have. And I mean, hopefully I got across, uh, across in my, in my response to you that it's like a no brainer to me that this is ours. Like this is, we're doing this together. We're in, together, equal partners, like, that's it. Like we are you know, brothers in this, you know, journey. Um, but 
you know, I don't, I, I, it's, it's not just that I accept and understand. Like, I don't, I don't, I really don't like take offense to that. Like, I think some people take offense to that. They think, oh, like he thinks like I'm, I'm a person who takes advantage. I'm like, no, you know, I, I get it. Like uh, you have a reason for having caution. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I want to work through it. And, but just because I decide to say, no, Andre, I'm not that way that all of a sudden there's supposed to be some light switch. <laughs> uh you know uh not at all not at all you know uh, me well <laughs> no we didn't we have to experience that you, I, I have to show you i have to show you you know that i am truly a different way um if i if i believe it in myself like i have to be that person and let you see it um you know me uh, well because my thought was taught does Todd think i'm some fool just because he says well i'm sure i'm gonna believe him boy <laughs> So yes, that was my thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man, this feels so full circle from that first session yeah. to I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't know how you feel, but I I'm comfortable that we've had our session. It just feels so full. And I and and thank you for the offering of your grandfather's story. Like Woo, Lord, that was powerful. Yeah. That was okay. powerful. I know it because she put, I, she put yeah. a blanket on it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, oh yeah. That that moment. Because it's also Andre, it's just like the little thing, right? Like the big thing. I mean, the guy who saved him, I mean, that's huge. Like, I mean, he saved his life. I'm I don't exist without that guy, right? I don't exist without a non-Jewish guy being in the world and doing that. Right. So that is like itself a powerful idea. But the thing about the blanket is like the everyday simple care, right? That we could just in everyday life, treat each other better, show that we care, um, show that we truly see each other as just equal human beings with an equal right to dignity and love. Um, that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, when he was telling that story, I just like lost it. I was just like, wow never told me this, you know, I, I don't even know. Did he have it in his mind before the so many different times he's told me that story and just didn't tell me, did he not have it and not remember it because his mind wouldn't let him go there because he had locked it up because of this caution. Um, and it only took the ravaging of his body to open him up to real, to remember like, wow. Um, like there was this person and she was not Jewish. Like, I don't, I will never know the answer to that question. Um, but and so powerful. An, another way in which your grandfather and I are similar, although mine has not been a life-saving story, there have been white people who, Jewish people, I've always gotten along really well with Jewish people. Um, and I've spent part of my childhood around a lot of them, yeah. but who've shown me great, kindnesses i mean great kindnesses yeah great kindnesses yeah so i i say that to say i know that not all white people are bad or anything thank you for watching this episode of healing race and stay with us for a scene from our next video if you want to see more conversations like the one you just watched please subscribe to our channel share this video with friends and family and like and comment on the video below.
If you'd like to be a guest on one of our episodes and have an open, real conversation about race, email us at guests at healingraceshow.com. And if there are topics you think we should cover, we'd love to hear them. So please email your ideas to topics at healingraceshow.com. As always, thanks for your support. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Now, here's a scene from our next Healing Race. You said there were two things that struck you emotionally. One was just the story itself. And one was the fact that you and my grandfather's approach, your, your approach and my grandfather's approach were not dissimilar, right? With regard to- Self-protection, emotional, yeah, self physical and, and emotional self-protection. Yeah, what, what about what about hearing the parallels between my grandfather and I, what about that made you emotional? Why did hearing a similar approach from him spark emotion in you?